Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. In a world of increasing conflicts, people-to-people exchanges have become even more important at the cornerstone of any bilateral relationship. Cross-cultural dialogue and collaboration are key to navigate cultural differences and contain geopolitical tensions. For example, the extensive and profound Chinese culture has been loved and studied it by people all over the world, serving as a bridge between China and other countries. How can we realize deeper and more substantive people-to-people exchanges in order to mitigate concerns and boost good relations? Joining me today is German sinologist Professor Hans Van Ness, who is the Vice President for Research at LMU Munich. Welcome to Dialogue, Professor. Tell us about yourself, like uh, what prompted you to study Chinese? Well, first, welcome to my institute. Thank you. I'm a professor now, and it's a great pleasure to have you here. Uh, Well, what prompted me to study Chinese? I should say something about my family background. My father was a professor of Arabic studies and my mother also studied Arabic and Turkish uh, literature. She she grew up 14 years in Turkey in the 30s and 40s um, of the last century. And so I had just uh, already as a child seen more of the world than the ordinary German uh, child of my age had. And so I was interested in something uh, that my parents did not know. But there was also this special interest in Chinese culture. I think what what I was really interested in was that China had a culture or has a culture that goes back uh, many thousand years and the writing system with the fascinating Chinese characters that I, as a kid, thought I would never be able to master. And that was something I wanted to learn simply because it was a task that seemed like something that was not able uh, that I w- would never be able to make it. <laughs> and that a challenge. Was, that, that was a challenge I was really attracted <laughs> And, and you, so, you, you made it. Uh, I guess I made it, but still, sometimes there are Chinese characters uh, that I don't uh, master. And I must say that with a computer today, it's difficult to remember <laughs> what I knew before. And sometimes you tend to forget. Yes. I realized for Chinese people, it's the same problem now. <laughs> exactly. To write is not so easy anymore as it used to be 20 years ago when we were doing much more handwriting. Yeah, but that was a challenge, yes. You visited China for the first time in the 1980s. Yeah. And now, of course, many years later, you, you see the changes? Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, I came to China for the first time in 1984 and I participated in a summer class at Beijing, uh, Beida, Beijing University and traveled through the country. At that time, it was still a country that um, uh, was uh, looked very socialist to me. <laughs> Today, China is a socialist country as well, but it, uh, but the life is much different from that uh, times. It was difficult to go to, uh, to a restaurant. In the evening, restaurants closed at eight o'clock. And uh, it, uh, I remember one day when I 
went out of uh, Beda of, uh, from the campus and I tried to find some food outside. It was not so easy. <laughs> and uh, then I entered one place where there were uh, lots of people and I thought I could order something. Mm -hmm. But then they told me you need to have some Liang Piao. <laughs> so, uh, some, <laughs> as a surprise. Uh, as a, that, was a, that was a surprise to me. They, they somehow fit me in and I got my Jiao the, there the first. Nice. Uh, that I, uh, it was very nice and very, very nice people who were so kind to me. So that I have never forgot in my life, but still, it was very, uh, really a different country from today. So yeah. it was not so easy the daily life for someone who was a foreigner and had to learn all these uh, things. Today, if you go to China, uh, many uh, big cities, or I think most big cities, are, uh, are uh, easier to play than some places in Europe. I <laughs> think so. It's you can get food everywhere. It's uh, and then uh, at that time, China was a country with houses that were usually two uh, stories high and not as today with uh, uh, skyscrapers. skyscrapers. <laughs> of course, Beijing was a little bit different from other places, but still the physical appearance of this country was totally different from today. So I've seen a huge development in these uh, times. I studied in Shanghai in the, in, from 1986 to 88. Shanghai was a little bit more advanced than Beijing at that time already. But uh, still, it also looked very different from today. And I remember when I was in uh, Heidelberg University writing my, uh, my professor thesis. And so from 1995 to the year of 2000, I was not in Shanghai. I came back in the year of 2000 and saw this city had completely changed. Shanghai. When I was a, sh a student there, uh, Pudong yeah, was Pudong. A, a fisher village, very poor, and you could go there um, on a ferry boat, <laughs> but there were no bridges at all. And in, nine, uh, in the year of 2000, I went there and then there were these huge bridges there, very modern, and I thought I couldn't believe it. It, it was like just, a new city. It was just a completely new city, and it took me some time to re-recognize the places we had gone to in the 80s. It was just 10 years, or five years actually, and the change was so huge. So I've seen a development that I had never thought would uh, uh, have been pop uh, uh, possible. So as Westerners, in the 80s, uh, we often, I mean, I always liked China, but we also laughed about many things that didn't work in China at that time. And we thought, they probably will not make it. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> but then, then 10 years later, we came there and said, oh, this is totally different now. And that was really surprising for me. Mm -hmm. uh, you earlier mentioned, but in the 1980s, the, the beginning, early days of the reform and opening up, you know, there's a socialism. And of course, now you say China, of course, is continued to be a socialist country. Uh, you know, the Chinese system, it tends, of course, it has its roots in uh, Marxist ideology, but also yeah. it's a Confucian value yeah. there, like, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> Marxism yeah, yeah. with the Chinese characteristics yeah. or socialism with the Chinese characteristics. What's your... Well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a German and when I was a student, 
uh, there were actually two German countries. <laughs> there was West Germany and East, East Germany. Germany. And East Germany was a socialist country. And uh, I did not have uh, uh, many chances to go to Eastern Germany uh, before 1989, because there was a country that was closed for us. And we could go to Berlin. One had to pay some, some fees, and so it cost some money. Uh, I had not seen very much of this. Uh, before I went to China, and in China I met for the first time in my life uh, Eastern Germans, my neighbors in the students' dormitory came from Berlin, from East Berlin, and I had the chance to talk to them. This was very interesting for me because they said, well, this is interesting, this is also a socialist country, but it works much better than uh, our place. So they uh, told me here in Shanghai, when I go to the marketplace, I can buy many more things than in Berlin. And they wondered how this happened, actually, and why that was the case. So I also wondered, and um, I uh, talked to them, I realized socialism is socialism, but there seemed to be differences. Then in 89, uh, the wall came down, Eastern Germany, uh, the, the, the government collapsed, and we had the chance to travel there, and we saw that this was a country that somehow had preserved industrial structures from the beginning of the 40s, I think, or maybe the 30s, and not much new had happened to the, to the eyes of a Westerner. Uh, because it really looked very different from, from what we were used to, and we felt very superior to this. In China, this was different. <laughs> there were also, I mean, I became, uh, I worked in a business association um, in started to work there in 1992 and I also went to many industrial places in China then and could also see that there was much backward industry the same as uh, it looked like in uh, Eastern Germany but there was much more flexibility in China for some reason I think this is something that is interesting because the system socialism was the same but the flexibility that the Chinese people has had uh, to transform the system was much, much uh, bigger than it had been in Eastern Germany. And I think this is, there is a cultural background that changes this. Uh, Germans tend to be, uh, to adhere to, to fixed rules and to structures. Once they have uh, been fixed, it's not easy to change them. This is a rule and we do it that way and then, but in China, I also always quite often heard uh, the word woman, you're greeting. This, we have a rule and you should do it that way. But if the rule doesn't work, then you change change it somehow and, and I think this is very, this is Chinese, it also has something to do with hierarchies. Uh, socialism is an ideology of equality but on the same time there are also hierarchies between that have to be respected and that was the same in uh, Eastern European countries as in China. But the relationship between uh, human beings I think is still somewhat different and that has in my opinion to do with the influence of Confucian values where superiors have to take the lives of their, uh, the people who are working under them much more into account than uh, this is the case in individualist countries in the West where people would say well, they have to somehow <laughs> adapt themselves. I don't know whether I'm seeing that right, but I think there are, there must be these cultural things. And I, I actually think I saw quite a lot of these uh, mechanisms in China that are different from 
those that we have here in Europe. How do you compare like today's like uh, Chinese culture or German culture or China and Germany? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, there are many similarities between uh, China and uh, Germany in the, on the, uh, at first sight. So uh, both are, in my opinion, very uh, hardworking people. Uh, you find many people here who really like to do their stuff and then they do it, uh, they like to do it well. And the same uh, in China, you find many specialists there who think this should be done in the best way and this is uh, actually very similar and it's different from other countries where you would uh, find a more easygoing approach. But then, as I just said, I think the, uh, there's one difference, that is that uh, German thinking is quite rigid about certain structures and that once you have established a structure, you think it should be uh, things should be dealt with within this structure and this should not be changed too much because then uh, you have chaos. In China, I have the impression that uh, one is more willing to change some structures and uh, say, well, we have to adapt to circumstances. This is something that uh, I learned from also studying ancient Chinese texts like the Shizi, where you, you have this as an ideal. They say, well, this is very important that you know life is not always the same and sometimes it's different and then you cannot go on as you did before. I think that is a difference in uh, our cultures because here this is not so common that people would say, so now I do it in a totally, a totally different way. In China, I think that is more common. Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is dialogue. Speak of this uh, mm -hmm. China-Germany relationship. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, one important uh, cornerstone is really people-to-people -people exchange. Mm -hmm. As someone who you know travel frequently between yeah. the two countries, you know, pr or promoting uh, the relationship among peoples, uh, what do you see the current status, and uh, you know, what what should be done probably to bring yeah. people? Uh, even closer? Or? My impression is that German people actually like China <laughs> a lot. So uh, ordinary people who travel to China during the last 20 or 25 years, most of them thought, oh, this is an interesting country and we learn a lot here. It's, uh, it's fun to go there. And uh, Chinese who come to Germany, actually ordinary people, a little bit the same. <laughs> they also enjoy this. and. So, so that is fine, but then there are, uh, are many misunderstandings also and it is not so easy to tackle this. So I uh, have the impression that uh, the influence of mass media is something that is difficult to handle here because they focus on uh, just some topics usually political ones and not so much about what is actually happening in the culture uh, in the country and I think this is something uh, that we should try to change together. I think it's very important that people understand how life is working and how culture uh, uh, how culture influenced this life there. So what I think is very important is that there are translations of basic uh, Chinese uh, works into Western languages and that uh, one makes it possible to 
make people understand here what Chinese culture is actually about, what, what people like in that country, what they di dislike. You can do that by reading Chinese novels, for example. But on the other hand, I also know how difficult it is. Uh, it is. I just taught a class on Hong Lomeng, The Dream of the Red Chamber, last uh, semester. And I talked to a, a colleague of mine who is also has been to China quite often, and, uh, but he is not a sinologist. And one of his uh, Chinese friends recommended that book to him and said, this is what you have to know in order to understand China. He also is a professor. He read the first one or two chapters and this, he said, this is totally boring. This is something I don't understand. And um, so that is something we have to work on because uh, I, as a sinologist, know what is interesting in this book. I do understand it and it's a tremendous fun to read it. but. Other people don't uh, in Germany can't understand what is going on in such a novel because all the habits described in it are so different. And that is something we should somehow try to explain. This is the task actually of sinologists, in my <laughs> opinion, to explain what Chinese culture is about and why, do they, why they find these things interesting. The problem is many don't know themselves, many, but, but I think these things are very important to explain what is going on, what, what, what Chinese people read, what they, what they cook, how they, what are the principles behind that. This is a huge word that not many people in the West understand. Mm -hmm. Well, that of course influences uh, you know, a, a nation, like yeah. how they uh, conduct or handle yeah. their, their lives and also relationship there. Uh, speak of that, you know, China-German relationship, China-EU-European Union relationship. You know, the European Union has um, a China policy called China is a partner, competitor, at the same time a systemic rival. Yeah. Uh, what's your understanding? It seems to me like the ideological differences is now somehow yeah. becoming like uh, not prominent but more outstanding in in bilateral ties mm -hmm. well let's first say it's good that they also speak of a partner <laughs> and i think uh, i think that is uh, a basic relationship that we actually have so many people now uh, in uh, the west when they want to stress that it's important to collaborate with china mention certain topics like uh, health like climate change and these things and in order to tackle these problems uh, we need to collaborate. I think that uh, the need for collaboration goes much deeper, that there are many other things um, that we actually have to collaborate in order to, to do something uh, for humanity. And um, I remember uh, in the 80s uh, when migration started to become a topic in the West, uh, people were actually afraid that uh, China might be, uh, might, uh, might remain a poor country and a billion of Chinese would like to come to the, that was on the minds of some people at that time. This didn't happen because China became rich and so they don't need but, to But there remains this. a threat <laughs> with the quotation marks. Yes, yes, there, uh, but no, but, but it's, it's just, uh, we, we now see what, uh, the differences in, in uh, the standards of life can do. In Africa yes, you have yes. a much lower standard of life and that's the reason why many people come here and this is creating problems here. So it's actually important that we achieve the goal that uh, 
human beings on this globe have a similar standard of living. And I think that is the basic thing. And this is why partnership is very, very important. Now, the, uh, that China and uh, Europe are competitors, that may be true as well. Um, I think that competition is not so... Um, is not uh, uh, necessarily a bad thing. Competition can be a good thing for everybody because it can bring out the best uh, values of all systems. And I also don't think that uh, systemic rivalry is, is, is wrong at the first place. So there is a rivalry between two political systems. And in my opinion, behind the formulation of this phrase that the European Union made is the fear that the other system might be as strong as ours or even stronger. stronger. And, and, uh, and that uh, is, of course, a big challenge. And so we shouldn't blame politicians for speaking out about this. I think that's, uh, that's their right uh, to do this. They shouldn't draw the wrong conclusions from this. So this is uh, what I think is important. It's yeah. important that they still recognize that we are all human beings and that there might be a different system. And if it does something good, it may be good for humanity. And that we shouldn't attack people because they have a different system and do things in a different style like we do. So that's, <laughs> that's I think, the basic thing. Otherwise, I think, well, let's live with the formulation they, had, they have made as long as we are able to remain friends and uh, do things together. Mm -hmm. It's uh, important for me. I've been to China often. I admire many things that, have, uh, that the Chinese people has achieved uh, during the last uh, 40 years that I have visited the country. And uh, I hope that China is developing uh, well in the next uh, decades to come. Mm -hmm. Next decades to come. Uh, and, and of course, you know, with the, that kind of understanding, uh, then we have policies of like de-risking mm -hmm. some, you know, de-risking and also like a supply chain issues uh, or scrutiny with yeah. investment, you know, uh, outbound to China or inbound from China. Um, you know, if, if you look at the security conference, the report for this year, they, they talked about, uh, you know, to avoid this lose-lose situation. Yeah. We used to talk about win-win. Yeah. Some people say, oh, you win more, I win less. <laughs> you know, I'm not happy yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah. And then uh, there's, there's a danger of like uh, falling into that kind of situation or lose-lose. Everybody lose uh, in a situation of deglobalization, in a situation of like de-risking. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of that? Well. Uh, first thing, I mean, uh, we have been talking about win-win for a long time and uh, this is a very nice thing, but people uh, probably have realized that it's not so easy to achieve, that uh, always everybody wins at the same pace. So, so this is something that actually business people have brought up this phrase and they think that the wor world may work like that, but usually it's one at some point uh, winning more than the other. And behind this, of course, is the big uh, big uh, question of uh, a rivalry between the US and China. And the rivalry, actually, I don't think that China is uh, the major player behind that. It's actually the US that has for 70 years after World War II, but it started even earlier, I think, uh, being the dominant power on this globe. And if you see somebody else coming and catching up, uh, 
and you fear this uh, rival might overtake, then of course there is fear. And I think this fear is the important uh, thing that uh, is behind all the movements that we have, uh, uh, that we are discussing right now. Nobody really uh, well says we are afraid, but I think the Americans are afraid that they, are, uh, they might uh, be losing something and uh, that this win-win will not take place. I think this uh, thinking uh, will not work because, as you said, uh, if we don't pay attention to what is going on, then we might all lose. And I think for the Americans, as for the Chinese, it would not be good if the partnership would be broken up and one tried to bring back uh, all jobs to the United States. Some of them maybe one should bring back. And that is also something, I mean, de-risking doesn't sound uh, so nice, but we have seen with the Ukraine war that there are risks. Our country is deeply affected by what happened two years ago. So more than America, I guess, much more, because our uh, whole energy uh, 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 thinking has uh, not worked out well. So our uh, industry currently is losing. And so we see the effects. We know that some de-risking is not a bad idea. But this de-risking should be taking out of risk. It should not be something that harms partnerships. And we should, uh, of course, uh, we have seen with uh, supply chains uh, being cut off during the pandemic that uh, some uh, Pharmaceutics were not coming to Europe. This is a very dangerous situation. Politicians should really think about. I think that is their task. But on the other hand, they shouldn't do damage to long-standing partnerships that, for example, we have with China. And I think it's important that people realize how important China actually is for Germany, for Europe as a partner, and that we need our industry to be active in this country. And on the other hand, we also need Chinese companies, in my opinion, to be present here in Europe. <laughs> and there can even be more done than has been done until now, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well, you mentioned about you know, China-US, uh, this, uh, this um, competition or whatever you call it, and, you know, is the US is a major player. There's a concern, there's a even fear that China is catching up quickly. But from Chinese perspective, you know, China thinks you know, uh, our priority remains development, remains improvement of the living standard, remains, yeah. uh, it's not really about like, a, uh, you know, uh, being expansionist, you know, <laughs> or, or uh, you know, uh, having a large country or <laughs> taking another country. You understand the Chinese um, views probably much better since you have been following this country, you know, for decades. Uh, you know, what's, what's the thought? What's the idea? Okay, China is here now. China is more developed. And then what's next? You know, what do the Chinese want, want for their country and for the world? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the perception here in the West is sometimes somewhat uh, distorted. So people think that China now is already a country that is as rich as uh, Western countries such as the United States or Germany are. This uh, perception is of course wrong because the per capita 
income in China is much lower than, still much lower than it is uh, in, in, in Germany or in uh, uh, Western countries. It has been catching up uh, fast, but still the difference is still very uh, big. And I think as long as this difference is there, there will also be uh, some competition between uh, the countries because China has to do something about its population. And I think that's uh, the right of the Chinese people to try to do better. Thank you, Professor. Well, a wonderful discussion. Thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs>